after 539 days, there's gold at the end of the rainbow. Nice. It's that song, Alas. Love it. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. In person. Nick, am I muted? <laughs> it's weird to see anything, like, below your neckline. <laughs> I sort of forgotten you had legs and stuff. Yeah, I, I do. It's not just sort of the, the Futurama uh, head Yeah, cut head out. in a bottle. <laughs> yes. That's right. We are finally also, uh, yes, after 539 days, is that right? Yeah. Ooh, good short-term memory recall. Uh, <laughs> Vancouver Whitecaps finally played at BC Place, and also probably a similar amount of time has gone since we've seen each other. That's true, because it would have been longer. Um, yeah, I would have been back last at Christmas 2019. Yeah. So this was my first. I'm uh, I'm on a... I'm We're in our 80s to, now. That's true. <laughs> the, the whole world has changed. I've, I've taken a, 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 a little journey to BC, seeing family and... Uh, in the interior and in uh, Have you in been Vancouver. screaming at them? Because your voice sounds a little uh, hoarse there. I was actually, I think that was related to what happened in the 89th minute of last night's game. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yes, as we as we are talking, that was, uh, I would I would say it was, um, like, a, I, for a long time, you know, I don't want to be maudlin, right? This whole thing, this is something I've been thinking about all trip. When people are saying, you know, all the time until we can, you know, see each other again or whatever, right? Like, it, it's a complex thought because the pandemic is not over in any sort of way, right? I think that there's the the constant allusions to this mythical time when things will be over and we can all go back to normal. It's not necessarily going to happen. But when I think of the things that I did dream of doing, it was seeing my family, seeing my friends, in, in in some of them included being at BC Place and, and doing all that stuff. So yeah. it was sort of like, you know, dreamlike to be able to do it. However, I think given recent events of the Vancouver Whitecaps, there may have been some certain amount of nervousness among everyone involved yeah. to be like, I hope it goes well. <laughs> I hope they don't bless. Yeah. <laughs> this could, the first, the first, Game of fans back in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at the end of that Premier League's first Premier League season, they got booed out of the building at the 90th minute. Yeah. And you know, I think everybody was scrutinizing everything from tickets to yeah, fan reaction. Um, of course, following the, the game, which was a 2 1 win for the Whitecaps over uh, LAFC, uh, second win in a row after uh, first half penalty, um, Whitecaps scored two goals, including one that. 89th minute, they ended with the Stand By Me thing that had right. been done, I guess, in, in, in Austin. Austin. Yeah, they released a video, the club released a video of them singing it in the rock, the, the locker room. Yes. And I guess that, that, I don't quite understand why that or how it was chosen, um, but it was sort of like to St. Ricketts kind of leading the team to sing the song mm-hmm. after a victory. I think part of it had come from the fact that we saw um, Seattle. There was a behind the scenes of a Seattle Sounders video, and they were singing in. They sing a uh, an away away victory song, yeah. and I think the Whitecaps maybe kind of latched onto that idea a little bit. And they, they which is fair. They talked about wanting to do it, and I think there was this like there is a lot of there. There can be concern that something like that would be manufactured. You know, they put yeah. the lyrics up on the screen and everything. Right. And it's like, and 
just a moment of like encouraging. Please be nice to us. Yeah. Please, although I would run through a wall for to Saint Ricketts, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> the there was I I think some aspect of that. I don't know that that moment plays the same way after a draw. If there, if last night's game was a draw, or if last oh. game's game was a loss, I don't and, think and that. And I sort of just now that I'm thinking about it, I have the same thoughts. But at first, I was like, this is a great tradition to do when you win a game of soccer. You should absolutely not do this every game. <laughs> this is a victory-only song. Yes. Because that is an actual catharsis. But if it's just like a after the game, we all get together, and you're like, you know what, guys? Yeah, like, the, you, you can't... If the sky we look upon should tumble and fall... We've got. We already have uh, Kesarasara, which I think is the beautiful, the beautiful, you know, bonding together in a, in a bad time zone. Yeah. But like, you know, we've talked a little bit before about like what makes a club and stuff like that, and, mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that that exist between the Whitecaps and the organization and the Whitecaps and the coaching staff definitely don't apply to the players. You know, like, like. <clears throat> well, that's what's kind of made this weird, not very good year so strange and so strange to talk about is because it's been one of the first seasons that we've had where I don't think our major issue is with players. No. You know, like, I I really have to, like, struggle and think of a, a white cap that I think shouldn't be starting or shouldn't be getting the opportunities that he's gotten this season. Certainly, there's moments of play or certain decisions but I don't think you can really save any white cap. Well, he's not out there trying. Right. You know, like the 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 Tybert haters who just are so tired of seeing yet another back pass, which like right. fair enough, I get it. But also it's like we well, why is he starting? It's like because he's fitter than your entire family, you idiot. Like <laughs> Because he he will run for weeks. And right. sometimes that's what you need is a player who's just gonna keep the ball and hold up possession and it may not look pretty and it might be really frustrating, but that's something that we desperately need sometimes. One of the things that I would say characterizes like the weird doldrum era of the Whitecaps in this season and last is an inability to sort of know how to progress the ball, like to, to know when you when you are in possession of the ball what to do next with it. Because and that has been my problem a little bit with some of the back passing. I wouldn't necessarily only put it at his door. Oh yeah. Because I think that like, you know, I was looking at during that the nail nil draw with San Jose with just like, like there was just a back pass chain that ended at Cropeau with somebody in central defense passing back to the goalkeeper while under pressure by one person. And it's like, we couldn't. But even that I think sometimes is <clears throat> not to get too into the weeds of it is that tactically, like if your goalkeeper is the one is the most obvious pass <laughs> Which it isn't always, right. but like I think in that case is like you where where's the rest of the team showing up? Like why? Part of it is also who's available, right? And in a team that has as part of their ethos is to try to keep a bit of possession and dictate the game. Well, in order to do that, like in order to press on the attack, you need to have possession. <laughs> so it's also on the attacking players to get themselves available and yes. open. And and I think it's been that. Not just forward play, but it's the final ball, right? It's like we, yeah, we can get there, <clears throat> and then Diber, who's just you know maneuvered through three different defenders, fires it 
over the crossbar by 10 meters. And it's, you're like, all right, well, I think great that, moves to get there. I think that once we have him, I feel like he's somebody that's going to be in a really successful partnership with someone, and it's not clear who it is. Yeah, I feel like yeah. having him be... He's obviously been an improvement over some of the people, like, like of... Uh, versus who was in the position last year, or not? I don't want to say anyone specific, but yeah. like, like he's definitely added. But I do feel that he's sort of like floating free a little bit, like he is doing his thing, mm-hmm. and I think that he would be able to really augment another player, and another player would be able to augment aspects of his game if it yeah. felt like he wasn't sort of just trying to, you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of my feelings with Alessandra as well. It's like, brilliant technical play. I just, you don't see a lot of product out of it. But you can have 60, 75 minutes of pretty good attacking football. And it's not that they're not progressing the ball, but they're also not on the end of any actual chances or shots on goal. And at a certain point, you start to evaluate that, but... You know, again, that's not just on them. It, it's also, again, who's available for them, who's showing. And mm-hmm. I think what we've seen with the Austin game and then this uh, victory last night at BC Place is, I mean, obviously <laughs> there's been one major improvement, and that's having a player like Ryan Gold <laughs> on the pitch. Speaking of somebody that can pull around with a set of hats. But it, and that's been the argument all along, is that if you have that piece, it helps everybody. It's not that the play has to only go through them. Mm. It's that now you actually have a threat on goal from midfield, and it's not just all about trying to feed it to one striker. And I think that one of the things that's so effective about having a player like Ryan Gauld is that seeing in both those games, Brian White was involved in almost every attacking play and yeah. goal either as an assist, either as the first shot on goal that then ricocheted back, or in the case of last night, actually scoring the goal first that Ryan Gold had buried for insurance purposes. Um, but And I think that, again, is like having a dynamic attacking player like that that's a little bit sneakier and a, like he's direct. You know, I think it's fairly obvious where Brian White likes to sit in a game, but has that ability to actually get between defenders, all of a sudden opens up all kinds of possibilities for us because you end up with things like Brian White attacking goal and then the ball spilling out to Nerwinski, who got his goal in Mm -hmm. Austin. You know, I think it's not just the Ryan Gold piece. It's, It's a number of players figuring out what to do when they've got Ryan Gold on the pitch. And we've seen, I think, I think it's fair to say still this season that that misdirecting a MLS defense is the most one of the most effective ways to to dismantle even a really successful group. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and having players like Javane Brown, Jake Nerwinski, Gutierrez when he's healthy, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Gasper as well as an option. Like, I feel like f- the fullback position is one of the ones that we've not had to worry about as much over the last couple of years after some frightening <laughs> dark years there after Bittisher and you think, uh, Mikey like, Lee's departure. This is what a, what a Jordan Harvey too. This is what a, um, a whirlwind this season is going to be because now, you know, and I think that a lot of people I'm going to, we're going to try it and, and, and enjoy the happiness of it all. Cause it is really <laughs> a happy moment, but it's like, I, I know didn't that, agree to this. I know that the, the, it feels like the white cap season has, for the last two years have had these 
these really sort of high highs, and then these moments where it's like, well, uh, I guess we just lost a, de- a designated player for like no real reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, do we want to talk big picture? Or do we want to talk about Whitecaps versus LAFC? Let's talk. Let's just uh, let's just talk about the game a little bit because I feel like yeah. we've got we got a little bit to the the big picture of it. I think that the pursue it to that idea about the sort of the focusing on sort of a, a the tremendous luck or like you know not mm. not necessarily downplaying the 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 achievements, but I also just think there was everything you could have gone into that game really nervous about how it was going to turn out. And really, everything came out Whitecaps, you know, and whether or not that that first goal going off the crossbar and under, mm-hmm. rather than going off the crossbar and out. Yeah. LAFC's goal going on the crossbar and out, rather than going on the crossbar and under. Yeah. Um, any of the many, many attacking opportunities afforded to Galaxy, both near the end of the first half. LAFC. Yeah, sorry, LAFC. Both near the end of the first half and during the body of the second half. Yeah. Just like there were a lot of chances for well, that to go to a different direction, but I think that the Whitecaps were really able to continue to to press. They were able to execute this plan of let's just hold on until Ryan Gold is able to come on the pitch. And they, they made it But it, it didn't really even feel like, like I don't think there was any doubt that they would be getting Gold on the pitch at some point. But I feel like their whole game plan was not based around that. Like, I I mean, as because I feel like the Whitecaps always come out with a game plan that gets scuppered within <laughs> that first half, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I, I saw a lot of people saying after the first half, it was like, okay, not obviously, there's not going to be a single Whitecaps fan that tells you that's a penalty. But LAFC get a penalty, they bury it. But I think the sentiment was largely, well, we certainly don't deserve to be ahead. Even though that wasn't a penalty. The Whitecaps have not played well. I would agree with that. And given the number of LAFC chances, where I think we got lucky that Rossi just didn't bring his shooting boots. Apart from the PK, his shooting was awful. Also, you were on you were on the broadcast, so you may be able to tell me, or you were watching on the broadcast. Yeah. What happened with Carlos Vela coming off after 15 minutes? I'm not entirely sure, but it looked like he just kind of pulled up, like, at it, during a certain play. But it didn't look like anything egregious. Like, he wasn't near another player. He didn't look like he landed weird, at least from what I saw. Mm. And they sort of showed a replay that was just, I think it was a goal kick and Crapo had it. And Villa's just sort of walking back and he just holds his leg and then immediately looks to the bench and signals for uh, a substitution. So I don't know if it was something that had been maybe bothering him and then playing on the turf didn't agree with him. Right. But, you know, and I trust Carlo Vela, you know, obviously at a stage in his career where if he's not feeling it, he should probably substitute out. But it's not a good look when you're winless and six or five for LAFC and 15 minutes into a game against a beatable team in the West, your star player is deciding he's coming out. And I, I know that, yeah. you know, if anybody deserves the ability to do that, it's Carlos Vela. 
Yeah, I and again, like I, I trust case. that he, if he, he's not just saying, "Oh, I don't want to play this game," but it's not a good look. He, he could have not played the game because I was thinking about this because I had uh, one of my sister's friends. My um, I saw just previously said, "Is Vela playing or what?" And I was like, "Well, he's he, he's not on. He's on the the player inability inavailability report. Doesn't have him so." He hasn't developed a Thierry Henry-ish yeah. uh, sort of, you know, calf strain just before having to play at a turf stadium. Yeah, um, the he's he's on the on the bill. Certainly, we've seen players if they don't if they didn't want to do it, they could have a sort of you know a foot knock or something. Yeah. The, oh, oh, I feel uh, maybe not this week. Maybe not this week, folks. Yeah, I've pulled my. I don't care. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think that was the the case. I, obviously, something didn't feel right. Um, I would with the quickness that he like held his leg and signaled to the bench. It felt like the kind of thing where it was like, oh, he's reaggravated a thing he was either feeling before kickoff or earlier in the week. Like right away, he's going, I'm not running on this. So, so LAFC certainly didn't have. You mentioned the thing about. Rossi in the shooting boots. Mm-hmm. We will talk a little bit later about um, the absence of Mark Anthony K. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, I want to at least amend one part. You know, I might have said that it was that the Whitecaps got lucky in some respects, but you do have to say that luck wears green. And he was standing in the Vancouver uh, penalty area. He was called Max Crepeau because I felt that he was huge in that game. Yeah, and, and I, like, I kind of felt that, too. Like, it was long after the game had ended, I was kind of thinking about it. And I was like, you know, there was a lot more, like, credit to the goal scorers. And, like, the, you know, we still had to put the ball in the back of the net and win the game. And I'm not trying to take the sheen off of that. But, yeah, like, Max Cropo really did stand on his head. And I, I tweeted this, but I was like, I think he kind of goes overlooked game to game because he's so consistently coming up with three or four big saves, I feel like he's kind of in, like, like Matt Turner now. Like, if if he misses anything, people are like, yeah, see, I told you he's not good. And you're <laughs> like, the guy, like, how many different ways of cat-like reflexes does he need to have? Um, I thought he had a, yeah, really solid performance. And that, that game could have gone a lot differently if not for Max Kripo. Like, th- that could have been a 3-0 game um, early into the second half. And... <laughs> <laughs> Not the good kind of 3-0. No. So, for LAFC, you are right. They were winless in six. They're now winless in seven. Heading into it. We got to see, um, you know, one of my favorite... I don't I don't say this out of malice, but I always get a kick out of seeing Bob Bradley just mad. Just... Like, not well, because I want him to be having a bad time, it's because he's always really funny when he does it. I mean, he looks that way when they win, too, but That's yeah. true. <laughs> I, he is a good, his, because I feel like as angry as he can get, there's always a little bit that he's holding back. Yes. And that seems to really frustrate him even more. <laughs> I think that's the He has this Clint Eastwood-esque sort of, like, death stare. Yeah. But off to the distance. Like, not death staring anything particular, just... Well, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so uh, why did they trade Mark Anthony K? Cash, I think. I uh, guess. Yeah, Colorado Rapids swooped in since our last show. Um, I believe it was just over a million in general allocation money to get yeah. the services of Mac. Um, as of last night, he has his first goal of the Colorado Rapids. He's been heavily involved in 
most Colorado Rapids goals since he's arrived to the team. Yeah. He's looked tremendous. It it is a bit of a head scratcher for me. Like I I, I got the Walker Zimmerman trade because it's just that that was a boatload of money for a um, a center back. But it does feel a little bit like you know we we used to joke about LAFC bringing in I think it was when they brought in Christian Ramirez. We were like, okay, how many like top strikers do you need? Right, you just gotta go around buying all the best players. They had Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah, yeah, as like an option. And now we're in this stage where I think you know they've they've brought in really great players and we've seen that they're also keen on developing young players. I mean, they're actually a very similar team to the Whitecaps in many mm-hmm. respects. Um, but one of the things that I saw last night is that they try to pl- they do play at such a high intensity and such a high pace that it really doesn't take much for that to very quickly be broken up. So, and I think that that's something obvi- obviously Mark Dos Santos understands well about them. Right. Is that if you break that rhythm, it's all of a sudden very shaky. But if you let that rhythm take hold, LAFC will just tear you apart completely. Because those players, I guess like if you look at, um, you know, if they're running a, they're starting a, the starting 11 graph, it might just be weird. And it depicts a five... A five-two-three, which is maybe not necessarily accurate, Don't but <laughs> but um, the if you are looking at like their top players, you're absolutely right. They're, they're even if they don't have K, they still have some of the the, the key players are among the best in the league. Mm-hmm. They can they can really kick up a fuss in a, in a hurry. Mm-hmm. But if you if the folk if they are not the fulcrum. If you were able to to tip it over and you know focus on the rest of it, I agree with it that they're very they are uh, they are disturbable. Yeah, and and then it's everything is happening at such high speeds that like yes, they're going to burn past your fullback and, and get into a dangerous area and cross the ball in, but it all happens so quickly that everybody needs to be kind of like in exactly the right place, and if they're not, again, it's like. LAFC will send everyone forward. The ball is zooming around every which way. And then it just kind of like ricochets out. I thought Bikel had a huge game last night. Yeah. Um, well, he was on, I, I thought was a little bit quiet, but like our midfield did a good job of, of breaking some of that up. And we certainly saw, um, I forget who, I think the pass might've come from Tyburn. I can't remember. But anyway, it was Brian White that was able to sort of mm-hmm. pick the back pocket and, and got through with a, an opportunity on goal. Um, or no, sorry, I think he the whoever the center back for LAFC was ended up tracking back and winning it back. But mm. seeing opportunities to push LAFC where when you're countering against them, they look a lot more nervous now. And I think that, you know, the obvious gap of, of not having Walker Zimmerman there... It's not that they don't have good defenders. I just think it's a little bit about organization. Is that, again, everything's happening so quick up front. It, it doesn't leave you much time to, to react to the counter and to, to get back into position. And um, Especially with a relatively young squad. And, you know, they have had some injury issues. I think we're, we're seeing a bit of that. Like with, um, with Atlanta, I think they're a team that really benefited from... This feeling of, 
like intimidation just by reputation. You yeah. know what I mean? That has been that his like Atlanta take it's a like hit. It's like the moment, the momentum, right? Is is the thing people fear most. You go in there and you think, oh man, are we are we are we up to LAFC this week? But like with the Whitecaps, the Whitecaps have they've not they've gotten a couple wins in this fixture, mm-hmm. both both this and the reverse fixture. So. I feel like there is probably a little bit of that, like, well, maybe we could go out there and, and get this one. Yeah, and, and I feel like Mark DeSantis has talked about that with the team, too. But anyway, we're getting back into the, the big picture things. But we d- ended up um, conceding the penalty. Yes. Um, which, uh, to me, it looks like Rodriguez stomps on Brown's foot, is falling, doesn't have the ball under control, and then Brown swings a leg through I, th- I feel, though, it's the theatrics. Rodriguez is rolling around like he's been shot <laughs> and stays down for a good long time. LAFC have two more chances on goal while Rodriguez is still down before the ball finally goes out. And I think that he's fooled the VAR referee to think, well, there's no way he's going to stay down in an attacking phase of play. So was. something must have happened. And then when they're, they go to look at the tape, they're looking for... What caused the? Th- I mean, that's the only explanation I can think of because it is just to me, it's a, such an opportunistic tumbling over. You don't have the ball under control. The fact I, I would argue Rodriguez has fouled Brown first, but anyway, I, am, I haven't been able to see it. Uh, it was my first time being able to see the referee trot over to that big beautiful screen lot. So, uh, so that was an interesting that was an interesting part of it, um, but ultimately, it is funny that you know I started th- I started this by saying you know everything everything went the Whitecaps way except sort of a freak penalty that nobody predicted. Yeah. Um, Atlanta, how do you feel like they're doing about picking themselves up of that that similar sort of slump that was going on earlier on? They got the win this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think they're in a bit of um, a similar spot to LAFC, not just in terms of results, but of kind of like having to prove to themselves and their fans that like, oh yeah, we are a good team. But I think a lot of it has just been like, for Atlanta, like the lack of consistency, and we see it in Toronto as well, is that you can have great players, but without the leadership and the plan and the ethos and the motivation driving everybody towards the same goal, it hasn't really been there. Um, so I've been really impressed by it. I think the leadership has been happening on field. I think I've seen a lot of um, Atlanta United players actually pull together and, and go, this is for us. Like, we're a good team. Like, well, let's let's do this for us. Let's enjoy the game. Um you know, I think having Martinez back in the the fold has. I was going to ask about the big, the the big Joseph. Yeah, we've uh, you know I've been on my adventure since the last time uh, the, since he started coming back in a big way and had that game where he, I think he scored and also he got his throat grabbed or he, he yeah. grabbed the throat or something. Yeah. You, would you say that he he has been a big part of that leadership in terms of like really either like changing the game himself or just sort of like helping be that center of gravity for everybody to, to move around. Well, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the Ryan Gold effect is that you play differently when you've got him on the pitch. So that helps your confidence. It, I mean, it would help my confidence if I knew Joseph Martinez <laughs> is going to be somewhere in the box. Like how could it not? Right. Um, 
but I, I think more than that, it, it is also, he has really, really attached himself to the city of Atlanta and to the club, and it obviously means a lot to him as well. I, I think part of that that leadership has been, you know, Atlanta's looked really aimless at points this season, and, and all of that attacking fluidity is just gone. And mm -hmm. I think Martinez has shown he's willing to get back and um, sit a little bit deeper and work for his teammates. He's not just a poacher who's screaming at his team to get him the ball. I think he has been at points, but I think he's evolved and matured a lot as a player. And I think it's that on-field leadership that's that's really been helping them. I mean, the goals obviously never hurt. It's, it's Joseph Martinez. I'm not worried about him scoring goals. That's going to happen. Certainly this era, Joseph. Um, it, the, uh, I believe that it was... Uh, for, I don't know if it's just because the teams at each conference have been playing each other so much in this MLS schedule. Yes. But it feels like DC United versus Atlanta is like becoming the new... I feel like, like it's happened like six or seven times this season already. I feel like every weekend it's like, oh yeah, DC's playing Atlanta again. The new high watermark. I actually, having said that, I don't actually think they've played this year. But I think <laughs> that, that was the that was the one I think last season, if I recall, that got Frank DeBoer fired. Am I right about that? Oh, my memory doesn't go uh, back that far. Um, yeah, I'm sh very, sh that seems likely that timeline tracks. I'm trying to remember. Somebody got, somebody got fired after losing deeply to, to DC. No, it was Toronto, wasn't it? Oh. It was Toronto that did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DC United. I will amend my points to say that DC United is like the new bellwether team where it's like, you know, are we, are we getting our doors <laughs> Did you see the Jordi Reyna free kick goal? I did. Yeah. I did. Um, they're, do, they're doing good by, uh, I guess they're doing good with them there. Um, Felipe doesn't play for them anymore, does they? Yeah, Did he still they, does. Felipe's with uh, DC United as well. I thought he moved on. Um, but the, Sorry. yes, they're, you know, the, the, the reunion of sort of 2016 era of yeah. April Whitecaps players or 2017 era. It's weird to me that so many Whitecaps have ended up, I mean, I, it's MLS, but it's like there's a lot of teams. You think they'd be a little bit less prepared, <laughs> but when you see multiple Whitecaps on the same team, um, like now Betasher is back with um, Nicholas Mosquito with Colorado Rapids. Nice. But like, did their, well, their time overlapped very briefly, I feel like, but anyway. Yeah, you're so you're right. Jordi Reyna scored a great goal in that game after Joseph had uh, got his uh, made his mark early on. Um, this goal from Moreno, then, where it's just like just a slow roller. Or no, is that correct? Yes. There's been a lot of soccer. This was the moment where I. Uh, this is the moment where my body was like, "Hey, bud. <laughs> hey, bud." This is the last goal you saw as you drifted off to sleep. <laughs> um, the, uh, but I agree with you that I think that, that Atlanta, at the very least, is trying to put something back together, and they were able to get something with that result. And why the hell not? Like, at this point, you know, I, I don't think anyone's really, like, expecting them to make the playoffs, but they certainly are still in with a shout. I think a, a couple more good results, um, and there's no reason why they couldn't. Now, I don't think anyone's really thinking they're going to go super deep in the playoffs, but I, the, the momentum is coming at the right time. I think the issue is Atlanta United is this, you know, this sort of like lightning-in-a-bottle team that then they just kept tampering with. 
Yes. And so it's the, for me, it's like the 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 next permanent coach you bring in, or have they? No, they decided, right? Have they? Because didn't they bring in the Seattle Sounders guy? We did our research for this one. Gonzalo Pineda. Yeah, he was with Sounders before, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that that would make sense. He was an assistant coach with them. Yes. I'm in. Yeah. Yes, it's all coming back to me now. Somebody, somebody's listening to this just screaming. Like, yeah, yes. he was an assistant coach. He's been an assistant yeah. coach for the Sounders since 2017. So. Right. I mean, given some of the things that we, some of the facts we've made up, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's good to self-correct these things. Good to, good to double check. Do it safely, but. I, that to me is the biggest question now: is can you give Atlanta United back their identity? I don't think we want to try to always create this. You know, who's going to be the next Almiron? You know, Almiron was Almiron; he had his special connection with Joseph Martinez. Mm. Find another good center attacking midfielder to do the link-up play, but don't try to constantly be recreating that team. Right? Like you have to look forward, and and MLS has changed. A lot of teams started playing more like that Atlanta United in the interceding years. Right. So, um, Toronto's going through it now, too. The growing pains of, of not having that consistency and so much of the identity seemed to be tied to a coach. Yeah. And I now, mean, this, this Miami result is, yeah. is a little challenging. 3-1 and the, the one goal is an own goal, so you can't even take credit for it. Yeah. Even your opponent scored your goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and well, it was interesting, speaking of Miami, as I saw Phil Neville has said this week, that um, his team is a new team now, which I guess, in that they have now won games. <laughs> yeah, speaking of... speaking of, They beat of, one of, of the worst teams in the East. Taking a couple results and then saying, look, it's problem problem solved. Yeah, like, okay, you, be, like, you, you played some not great teams and some teams in not great form and won. And it's it's looked okay, but I feel like Inter Miami, as as we've said, is like a team that when it's clicking, looks very very dangerous. But it's really not that hard to unpick that lock, you know. <laughs> like it's not that hard to to really scatter them, and with no real chances. Yeah, I, I feel like it's more of like, well, look at what your competition is right now, and look at the games you've won. Like a whole new team. Like okay, if you beat. Um, I mean, New England is a pretty high bar, but, like... The defense is certainly permeable. Yeah, and, and, I mean, once you beat somebody who's above the playoff line, like, then maybe we can talk about how you're a new team, but... I thought when I was watching the the goals from that, that it's just, like, the commentary, especially on that first goal, there really seems to be a... Like, it's just sort of, we've got to hype this up, guys. We've got to act like this is a fun team you want to watch. You know, Pizarro scores that first goal, and the commentator just goes in a full hysterics. He's like, oh, my God, he's a magician. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. I was looking down. How many times did the word magisterial come out in those highlights? Magisterial! And I was just like, okay, well. This guy I'm, gets paid by the word, I think. Okay, I, well, obviously, I better, um, I better, uh, obviously, I better, like, give this a look. I was looking down, so I gotta go look at it. It's like, he just sort of dragged the ball back, like, he took one nice touch and it's scored a good it. shot. It was a good goal. Like, yeah. I'm not saying it was a bad goal. I was just like, oh, well, if it's this, 
if it's this big triumphant moment, I obviously it's something I need to make sure that I watch and scrutinize in detail. And it was just like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about Brian White shattering one off at the uh, crossbar from close range and in. Yeah. The second goal was nice, though. Pizarro was also nice. Pizarro, Pizarro yeah. did great. He scored two. Like, Nobody's he, doubting that Pizarro's a, a brilliant player, but has he been brilliant for Inter-Miami? Has Inter-Miami been brilliant around him? No. No. Not at all. Um, yes, the Iguain brothers on, on their night, absolutely. As we've always said, there's lots to like about Inter-Miami as an idea. It's just that the on-field product is so disorganized, and I think they've fallen into the trap that a lot of MLS expansion sides have, which is that they've poured all of their ideas and money into the attacking players. And it's, you know, they, they have a decent defense as well, but they haven't organized themselves defensively as a team. Mm-hmm. Like anytime they're defending, I see what the defenders are doing, but the rest of the team seems to have absolutely no idea who they should be marking <laughs> or when. I guess that that's that's the 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 managerial magisterial brilliance of one Phil Neville. Um, Must be the other uh, the other leagues the the league's newer shiny toy uh, <laughs> Austin had had uh, quite the match in, against Portland. I felt. Yeah, and I mean, what a, a big result for them as well. Coming off of their loss to the Whitecaps at home. Austin really, really needing to prove that they are not the worst team in MLS, or at least in the West, um, and finally got a big three points. Um, and then I think it was four goals in the end. It was 4-1 against Portland. Um, and, I mean, let's be... Portland has looked mightily off much of this season with a few performances um, as the outliers. But just... Yeah, it was it was really nice to see the uh, like a fluid Austin. I feel like despite their defensive abilities and performance, right. their lack of goals isn't from lack of um, good attacking players. It's getting themselves out of the defensive phase of a game and into the attacking phase to actually even get those chances. Um, that's why I thought it was such an interesting. Um, match up against the Whitecaps. So you've got one team that's really good at defending, one team that's crap at defending, <laughs> one team that can't score goals to save their lives, and we're sort of like, eh, maybe we can score goals, but maybe like... It'll, maybe it'll all... Sort of yeah, well, it, how will it cancel out? But, um, yeah, I think m- massively important for Austin. I, again, I think the expectations are fairly low for them this season. I think most of us are just happy to be watching soccer. But... Given what the resources that they've poured into the club and the momentum, the the, the fan support around the club has been huge. Um, you know, it's important to get wins. I mean, as we've seen Cincinnati this year, even with some okay performances, they're playing to crickets. Like, you got a brand new stadium that people don't want to come to because they're tired of seeing the same product, and you just you don't want to get into that. Um, that routine. No. It, it's, I think it's much easier for teams to fall into a, a kind of losing mentality in MLS than we sometimes give credit for. <laughs> like it's, it can be brutal when you're down there. Speaking of that, speaking of that, New England Cincinnati happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was a pretty interesting game, but um, but it was definitely New England showcasing the B to B to B. 
Tejon Buchanan just having... I, <laughs> he's just involved in, like, every single play. Or, like, yes. every single goal-scoring play, it seems. And they had the one where it was, like, I think they were saying it was, like, Bo to Buxa to Buchanan to Bo again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the B team. Yes. When your B team is your A team... <laughs> it's New England Revolution. It's New England Revolution. And they just, you know, they're sitting very comfortably at the top of the East. They're in uh, a, with a good shout for the Supporter Shield. Um, their competition in the West is Seattle, and I feel like Seattle has obviously very recently been devastating, but we've we've seen Seattle falter as well. They've had their injury issues. Um, so I feel like I know... Um, New England is going to be quiet on their ambitions. I think they're quite happy to have just snuck up to the first place and stayed there. Bruce Arena's playing chess. Bruce Arena's playing chess with us all. But I think, to, to me, they've not just... I mean, it sounds obvious because of where they are on the table, but they've been the most consistent team this season. I feel like even their their poorer performances, they haven't looked like a team that have fallen apart or... Um, is, is missing a lot of things. You know, they're an MLS team. You're not going to win every single game. Um, and this is a year where a lot of the, the perennial faces are having real challenges. Yeah, it, like, and, and that's where I think just their opportunity could be now. I mean, you look at the struggles of Columbus, um, who now sit well below the playoff line, I believe, after a number of defeats. Um yeah, I feel like everybody's kind of new. All of New England's would be challengers are doing them a lot of favors. I think the the wild card is uh, New York City FC, and unfortunately the New York New York Derby didn't happen. Despite a two hour weather delay, delay they finally ended up just calling it at like almost eleven at night. Hey guys, we need to do this another time. Oh, man, I feel so bad for the people that traveled out to that game and sat for a couple of hours. In the pissing rain, waiting for a game to happen, uh, only to be only to be about to start it, and then being like, "No, we can't." Seattle had a nice uh, comeback after uh, going down to Bradley Ray Phillips' goal, scored twice in the 88th and 89th minute to win two one. Right, yeah, and I mean Rui Diaz right now is just well, Rui Diaz anytime. Um, I, I keep having trouble being like, was, is he? Do you? It was Ariaga and Bruin who scored the goals. Right, right. I'm thinking of the midweek game, yeah. mm-hmm. which which was also a big, uh, which was a big Rui Diaz, big Rui Diaz hours in that game. Yeah, well, and and I just, I mean, Seattle Sounders have so many good pieces that they can rely on, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think having a player like Rui Diaz on your team, even when he's not starting, just knowing that that's available to you. Very helpful. Even in the next game, very helpful. To, to me, I still feel like he's just miles above everyone else in MLS. I mean, just the with the consistency. I mean, I know, like, you could say Vela or Bo on their day, but it's always Rui Diaz' day. <laughs> like, he does he just... <laughs> it's never not his day. He's doing the things they're doing week in, week out, uh, very consistently. And, yeah, I, I still just feel like, despite some Sounders issues, obviously the injuries, not having Stefan Fry available has been a big blow to them, but um, they I forgot they had Spencer Ritchie to be able to rely on. <laughs> um, and then, is it Cleveland, their, other, their younger um, substitute goalkeeper? But not sure. But they've both done a great job. Um, yeah, momentum seems to be with them as well. 
I thought that uh, in in that game, Jimmy Madranda, who has made the switch from from Sporting Kansas City, I believe, mm-hmm. um, did well. And Jeremy Abobasi, who has now uh, perennially been sort of like the next in line in Portland, is like a lot of these players we're talking about, K. Mm-hmm. Madranda um, is getting his chance. Diego Fagundes in Austin yeah. is getting the chance to sort of have their own starring role in uh, in San Jose. Yeah, I'm kind of liking it. Are you? Well, I mean, like, I think that my reaction to the move was just like, why you do this? Why would you yeah, do something like, like this? I, the, the club that is letting the player go for a really good sum of money, I'm sort of like, hmm, I'm not sure I fully understand that move, but the club that's getting the player, I mean, when Colorado got Mark Anthony K, you're like, I mean, that just makes good sense. Um, Seattle getting Madranda, same thing. If like, yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you get Jimmy Madranda if he's available? Yeah. Um, and then with a Bobasi to San Jose, it took me a minute, that one. I would just, for whatever reason, I was like, Jeremy Bobasi just is a Portland timber in my head. Uh, no doubt. And I also think that oddly enough, when you think a couple of years back with San Jose, San Jose have felt as Chris Wondolowski advances in age, they've become much more of a scoring by committee style team. Yeah. So like, even though they have had players that can score and can make good moves, the idea of like a central striker is not really something that has been central to their game in the last couple of years. No, not at all. And I, I mean, and I also think, I mean, we know Abobasi can play on the wing as well. So he's a versatile attacker. Right. But I, yeah, I think... mean a, like a focal point. I feel like one focal point has not been there. Absolutely. And I feel like even in his time in Portland, he wasn't always the focal point, even when he was playing as a lone striker, um, because you've got, <laughs> you mm. know, the, the players that Portland has, you know, Diego Valeri to rely on to, to score goals. Um, but it... It now that he's there, it's sort of like, well, yeah, this makes sense. It's almost like picking up an excellent draft pick. Like, I feel like I can't have the same complaint anymore. That, that like, when like Mark Anthony K went to Colorado Rapids, I had this moment of like, but well, if I'd known he was available, then how come we're not getting him? That's true. We got we've got Florian. Well, we who needs Jeremy Abovsi when you have Florian Youngberth? I don't hate that move. I don't hate that move. But also, of course, we did get Brian White this summer as well. Yes. I feel like it's a perfect example of like a, a really good player. From MLS. From MLS that just needed a, needed to be a focal point, needed to be brought into another team that actually wanted to do something with him. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, who knows what the Red Bulls want to do with anyone anymore. Um, but I felt like that, that was a smart move. Florian Youngworth to Whitecaps is a, another great move that we did. It's nice to see some of these sort of journeymen of MLS um, not just find new clubs, but actually find kind of the starring role there. Find a good spot for them, it's true. Um, I just want a good home. Another part of my you know, footballing adventure this, uh, this week, I know it'll be a while um, since it happened when you hear this in your earbuds, but uh, the Olympics, man. What a time that was. I can say that this was this was a the the game that I just went to was a was a great footballing experience, but but the experience of watching the Olympics, watching the Canadian women's national soccer team go all the way to gold medal, just super exhilarating. What a tremendous experience for everybody that 
that was a part of that team, um, both in terms of players and like to be able to see the um, like Melissa Tancredi is like a like a sports um, a sports therapist on the sidelines or whatever. Yeah. Um, the they went into the tournament. I would say. I would say that that anybody that had watched like a friendly in the last three years, mm-hmm. um, even before the 2019 Women's World Cup, but especially with what was go- like, like heading into that tournament mm-hmm. and with what happened in that tournament and the quarterfinal loss to Sweden, you would say, well, there's clearly something here, mm-hmm. but how are we going to win anything mm-hmm. if we can't score goals? Mm-hmm. And somehow they managed to win gold without scoring any goals from open play in the knockout round. Um, this was uh, this was such a tremendous, you know, thing to to witness from its from its from the first game to the last game. But those those last couple of knockout rounds were really something special. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, kind of funny. It's like it was a while ago now, but like I watched the highlights like today and definitely still teared up. Like <laughs> I was sobbing, man. I was bawling. I it, was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was hard. Well, because I initially had just written it off as like, it was going to be, I think over. No, it was going to be like 5am or something or earlier right. here. And I was just like, there's just no way I, <laughs> in my pandemic form, I do not get out of bed. Happen. I don't wake up right. that early anymore. So I just kind of resigned myself to missing it. And then I woke up early and I was like, I bet you I can catch the last few minutes. That's the Which, gamble. That's the gamble. And, that, and, and that's the gamble. But then it was great, but also sort of horrible because then I was like, so I'm starting my morning with hoping that this game goes to extra time. So I've got to sit through that. Right. And then hoping it's going to go to penalties. And now I've got to sit through that. So I was sort of almost relieved at first that I wasn't going to see the game and then I ended up having to sit in bed you know, chewing my nails down to the cuticles, but just the, the release, you know, when, when, um, Julia Grosso steps up to take that penalty, I just had this moment of like, she's get she looks like she's taking it too quickly. Like she's barely set the ball down and just is like steps up. But it was like, as soon as her ball or as soon as her foot hits the ball, you're like, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. happen. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And it was, and it was, it wasn't even like it was just sort of like disbelief at first. And then right. I was like still in bed, and Laura was watching with me and my partner. It, but it's, it was, it was the celebration. It was the players celebrating because I think both of you and I had said it before the game is like they have nothing to prove to us. Mm. You know, we as a nation don't need this. Of course, we're pissed off about you know certain past events and feeling robbed, but like. We want this most importantly for this team, and we want it for Christine Sinclair. I think that absolutely makes sense. We talked; we would have talked after the first game against Japan. Yes, I think that yeah. we we, we yeah. were in the middle of that. I uh, watch a lot of Japanese wrestling, so the time zone is something that I was used You're to. You're familiar with, it. <laughs> although I was like a little surprised, you know, to be like waking up and it's like, oh, we're doing soccer now. Is that is that what's happening? <laughs> um, when I had the ability to do it, you know, work shift wise, I had some lucky, I had some lucky bounces, including the fact that, um, uh, you know, I was able to. Watch, some of these games were only on 
at 7 a.m. in my time. So I was right. able to, yeah, yeah. to catch it and have a Canadian soccer breakfast. <laughs> as, as I, as Eat I your Wheaties and watch, watch Canadian women's national team. On um, work. And I definitely pulled the long night of the soul and watched the, um, the Gold Cup semifinal right. between the Canadian men's team and Mexico. Right. Was I worked 2-10. I had the Gold Cup game was at 11. So I watched a Gold Cup game that lasted until like 1 a.m. local time. Yeah. And then uh, the women's team played uh, in the quarterfinal at uh, at 5 a.m. So I, I went the whole way. I went God. I went the distance. Um, and uh, But the next game, the U.S. game I had to watch on time delay. Mm. But I played the same... The same little uh, game that you did, where it was like, um, well, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to refl- refresh the replay section of the CBC Olympics website. Yeah. And if the Canada-USA match is there, mm-hmm. that means it's going on right now, and it'll, that means that it's in extra time, so I'll join it. Yeah. I'll join it for extra time and penalties in progress, or I'll watch the replay. Yeah. Um, the... Um, but I was able to catch this... I was able to catch the gold medal game, you know, while I was also working and trying to, you know, get out and get on a plane and go to Vancouver. Yeah. I got to write about it. I got to write it. I wrote a column about soccer, so Ooh, I was very happy about that. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, the... I've, I felt with those first couple of ones, and I also was... The, the final group stage game against Great Britain, I was very asleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I caught some of the goals. Yeah. This was this was one where even even those those I felt that this idea of change the color of the metal was such a good catchphrase because I you would you would look at that team in the group stage and you wouldn't necessarily th- think of it as one of the strongest teams no. that was out there. Um, you'd you'd see you know the Jane Becky scoring twice against um, against Chile was great. Mm-hmm. Um, they conceded against Japan. They had a they had sort of another sort of like well that's fine enough draw mm-hmm. against um, like like a, a draw against uh, the these Great were Britain. Not dominant performances. No, and but then you got to that point. I'm looking up the. Uh, you got to that point in the in the in the quarterfinal against Brazil, where mm-hmm. it's just like. This is a team that we have. Um, this is a team that we've faced faced a couple times. Mm-hmm. You know, in recent times, they, we we beat them in the gold medal round. But that we recently zero zeroed them in a friendly, and they beat us pretty handily in She Believes Cup. Mm-hmm. So that became the moment where I was just like, we, "We'll be lucky if we get to the bronze level point." Not yeah, to say yeah. that I didn't have belief in the team, but it's like, no, I don't think pl- anyone can really argue with the fact that we did not look to be in the the best position and we didn't necessarily look like a gold medal team it doesn't take anything away from what a great side it is i think the the thing that blows me away is that they ground this out like they really played above their levels to make this happen and the team is so young that's a great point they they were not playing their best soccer to win I think they played better than all the teams they beat, but I, I feel like they're, they haven't actually hit their ceiling, and it's almost kind of scary to think about like, where this team can be going because these huge exponential jumps in, in player growth and um, 
I think multiple things happening simultaneously where you have um, a player like Jan Rose like really maturing and becoming solid and and not that she wasn't before like but really coming into her, her own as a player as you're also bringing up this even younger generation of players right that are part of a, a different model of player that's a little bit more, a little bit more fit a little bit more fast um, just as is happening all over the world with every all all players it's just the the style now but like to to see them achieve that with what the, the pieces they have now, this relatively young squad. I mean, it, it just... You couldn't write a better story and, and set up for it. The I felt that, that, that one of the things that Canada has already done is do that, that changing of the guard that is now going to have to happen with Brazil and with the United States. Yeah. Where, you know, we may not see Marta at another Olympics. Yeah. Uh, if we somehow see Formiga at a sixth tournament that would be quite the that would be quite the accomplishment um but the i think with the loss to sweden that we discussed in the last episode Mm -hmm. um it was really clear that there was something wrong with the americans that 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 they had come in and um meglin of the athletic was sort of talking about it as being in and steph young on their podcast were talking about it as being sort of like a lack of focus Mm -hmm. in purpose you know, and, and, you know, they were, you know, when, when something goes wrong, whose responsibility is it? And like, you know, they changed their center back. They changed, they, they, they like, uh, um, stopped. They switched from Abby Dahlkemper to Tanner Davidson mm-hmm. mid tournament. Um, they're now going to have to decide who is going to be in that role full time. Carly Lloyd is retiring. Mm-hmm. Some other people are probably going to be retiring. Um, It'll be a, a moment of change for them that Canada is already sort of Canada is already sort of firing on it in terms of we've already uh, you know um, Diana Matheson who is uh, an amazing player mm-hmm. always somebody that I'll that I'll, I'll remember they've they've sort of taken that generation they've been able to move past it in a lot of ways I think that one of the big talking points always of course. Is Christine Sinclair and, and mm-hmm. what's what's going on with her? The the 2019 Women's World Cup decision, her decision to hand off the penalty, was you know a big um, was a big critical something a lot of people were critical about because because and I wrote about this at the time that it felt like you know she didn't really want to have the responsibility of being the game changer when she could still be the game changer. Mm-hmm. And this time. It didn't feel there was any sort of argument about it, you know. Sinclair um, misses that penalty against Brazil, mm-hmm. and then um, Labay. Uh, this was the beginning of Steph Labay's heroics. Yeah, the new Minister of National Defense saving mm-hmm. twice, um, despite the fact that it looked like it in the middle midpoint of that shootout. Okay, well, this is yeah. this is it for us. Yeah, she came up huge with the two saves. But Sinclair then, in you know, handing off the penalty to Fleming against the United States, mm-hmm. and, and uh, in a game that they played just this very, this very focused, very organized game, they really relied on getting that penalty, mm-hmm. um, which you know I can't see Americans, 
you know, it had been since 2001. You can't argue. You can't argue. If, if, it. it may be a one nothing, but hey, man. As ever. As ever. <laughs> and it really feels a lot better to say when you're actually the winning team is like by hook or by crook. Doesn't matter. Like through sheer force of will, talent, tactics, doesn't matter. <laughs> All you need to do is win that game. And it, it's certainly a risky thing. And I think that we know long term. We need strategies to win games a little bit more decisively. <laughs> this is not a thing that you can repeat a lot of times, yeah. which makes it all the more incredible. But I think the promising thing is that it really looks like we're not going to have to with this group of players that's coming up. There, there's such a confidence and understanding between them um, that, uh, again, I, I just think that we've seen them kind of playing in first gear. I don't think we've seen anything of what they're actually capable of yet. Mm. Um, given that the age of all of these players that are kind of coming into their own, most of them aren't even over 20. <laughs> like, it just, it it boggles the mind. I think if, you know, Heidema or Becky or um, Grosso or any of them, um, at, like, the age of 26 or 27, you'd be ecstatic that they were hitting that stride then. <laughs> and again, like, I think most of them are, like, under 22, even. So there's there's huge growth to be thinking about. But it, it, what, it was so great to see Sinclair really playing that role. Like, this is her team. You know, I, I know well, they're playing well, for each other. Here's what I was going to say, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, so Sinclair misses that penalty. And then the when it comes time against the U.S. to take it, it's the, almost the exact same scenario as against Sweden. Passes it off. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing in that yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, Jesse Fleming does not for a second look. Uh, Becky had also missed a penalty earlier. Yeah. And I don't know if there was any discussion about that. They had talked about who was going to take it. Becky, Fleming knew where she was going to put the ball. You know yeah. what I mean? Like everything, everything had been accounted for. So there was no moment where it was like, what, Sinclair's not taking it? Like everybody kind of could know. Yeah. Okay. And then in the gold medal game, you know, they're, they're at that one, one point. And then Sinclair, uh, Sinclair comes out before the 90th minute of that game. Yeah, almost just as this this moment. I do think it is her team, mm -hmm. but I think that they built this really smart in a way where they could just say, "It's it's for you guys now. It's yeah. your I I can I you are the ones that are going to take this over to the you know you're gonna you're gonna get this ship over the line, mm -hmm. um, and and." I extremely am not going to take a penalty against Hedvig Lindahl. That's the last thing that I want to do in the whole world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that is kind of what I mean about it being her team. Is But it's her team in a different way now. She's moving into a bit more of like a player-coach role where her, <clears throat> her main function this tournament has been, I think, to support the younger players. Not just in terms of on-field things, but in, right. their, in their confidence and, and passing that baton over to them. That's an important thing. Like, it's it's easy to just sort of be like, okay, the the player is now in their twilight and we have to move on. But I think you, when you involve the player in that, you also you actually get more buy-in from the team and from the younger players as well. That, like, nobody wants to see the end of Christine Sinclair's career. Right. We don't want to be talking about it. We don't want to be thinking about it. But, like, let's involve the person in that journey to to really um, create that transition, you know, like 
the the team is very different than the team that we saw Christine Sinclair play on and, right. and score so many goals with. Um, but what's great is she has been a part of that, and it really feels like okay, we we got. I mean, <laughs> we she got herself the gold, yeah. but you know they, they finally got her the gold, and it, it's it's like okay, right? We can all breathe easy now, knowing that whatever else we get from Christine Sinclair is amazing, right? But she she can sleep at night knowing she's got her gold. The best player, the 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 greatest player of all time, who never got to win the the Ballon d'Or during her time, and so far has not had the opportunity yet to compete for the Women's World Cup uh, yeah. in the in the final. Um, will have the or I think I might have to fact check that, but uh, but has never won the Women's World Cup. Has mm-hmm. finally got that piece of hardware that says you know best in the world. And I think that that I remember reading a piece years ago that suggested that um, maybe Christine Sinclair might never get the goal scoring record because she's not the type of player to want to really make it all about her, mm-hmm. which I agree with, right? Like that I don't think that the Canadian team became this sort of like late Kobe with the Lakers right. situation where everything is running through her to a detriment mm-hmm. um, to just to get her goals against, you know, yeah. St. Kitts and Nevis or what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the... I wonder if the success of that that campaign, really, in the when it happened in the spring of 2019, mm-hmm. was to create this idea of it being like a team thing, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're going to get this for you, yeah. and then we're going to also get this for us. And we know we can get this for us because we got this for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's the, like, I'm not saying the team is all about Christine Sinclair, but it really Mm. felt like there's a lot of genuine love and respect there, and that there was a drive from the players, including the players that were, you know, babies, (laughs) when some of these historic Uh. games happened talked about that. They were like, we saw that moment. I think Jesse a- Fleming watched this game on television. When yeah. He, the, the 2012 U.S. And I think there's a, a sense of, you know, of course there's the rivalry, but um, yeah, I, I, I just felt like there was a lot of um, wanting to, to see Christine Sinclair off in the right way. Knowing that, again, it's not the, she hasn't retired. <laughs> She's still playing. Yeah. Um, Beth Priestman says, another Olympics, another Olympics. Sinclair says, maybe I can be like Formiga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And who knows? Could happen, right? Um, but I just love, I feel very comforted knowing there is no doubt in Christine Sinclair's mind. Um, there shouldn't have been. Again, like, if they had lost that game, nobody was going to be upset at them for it. Um, but it just feels so good to know And, and certainly like... you could have, you know, I heard people say, you know, the the post-media guy, Derek Van Deest, was, was um, when evaluating it, was saying, like, oh, Canada missed the opportunity to have the easier side of the bracket by playing Sweden. But I was thinking, this U.S. team right now? Are you sure? Like, I know that we usually don't want to play the U.S. Yeah. And that was almost, that almost... Timing is everything. It would have been very understandable for that to be the emotional high point of the tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. Finally beating the United States, finally getting one over for 2012, and then getting silver. You've changed the color of the medal. You've achieved what you came out to do. There easily could have been this version of it, but yeah. but 
uh, hats off to Bev Priestman. The, the, the message was able to pivot just in the right way, yeah. just at the right time to come out and say, not, you know, it, it, it was, the knockout teams were all three teams that Canada was very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And Sweden obviously is not to the same degree as U.S. in terms of a team that Canada plays all the time and, and loses to all the time. Yeah. But it's like, you know, Sweden knocked them out of the last big tournament. You know, that they are consistently good. They have consistently great players, and they're only increasing in, in quality. Yeah. yeah. And and they're not they were in no way an easy out. And no. You could look at it to say when they score that first goal, um through uh Stina Blackstenius, it's just like uh with like ten minutes left before that happens like mm-hmm. one of those games one of those games where you get through the first most of the first half and you're like, All right, all right, yeah, all right. We're doing all okay, right, we're doing okay, right, yeah. All right, oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's that man, that was a that was a doozy on the nerves, that one. They held together, they had some they had like I would say that the thing with Canada in this tournament is that um, I saw I saw like a uh, what was the number that I saw for for expected goals where somebody was saying like mm. it was like two point seven to like zero point seven mm. for Sweden versus Canada and um, I would say that the was zero point nine like Canada is not a team that is solely defensive because they are doing, mm-hmm. you know, they are coming up and in, in, in having attacking runs of play. Um, I would say that they had in some of those games challenges, like having those resulted shots that were six, that were like really good shots. That was the thing they really needed was a defensive core to, to build that attack around. Cause I think there, otherwise it was just sort of like a, a roll the dice and we'll see what type of, game we play today kind of, <laughs> kind of approach um not and not to to knock it but I, I think it was like that was what that iteration looked like right like we grew to that point of being a, a dynamic attacking team and, and yeah. obviously having the world's greatest goal scorer helped um but that yeah, there wasn't a lot of other ideas and then also anytime there was a counter or we were having to bunker for long periods of time it was sort of like this you know, chaotic thing that would mm. often work, but it was certainly pretty nervy to just see bodies <laughs> flying all around and people having to run back out of position. And and it, it and nervy is a great way to describe this whole thing. Yeah, it just it, it feels much more solid now to watch the sort of core eight players really organize themselves. Um, Jesse Fleming got that penalty in the second half to make it one one um, again. And like, like if you are a columnist who covers another sport and you are now wondering, why didn't Christine Sinclair take it? I don't think anybody who had watched, I don't think anybody who, who is from the soccer side, just like we were talking about, the, the change has been made. You know, we, yeah. we, 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 we all know what to expect at that particular moment in time. Um, they went through extra time. They had this penalty shootout. Kosovari Aslani uh, scores and... Uh, Nigel Reed, who can we take a moment to talk about Nigel? Sure. Real quick. I know we were talking about the. I know where I was barreling into the penalty shootout, but it was interesting to me. It's always always so interesting to me to hear this guy who started being like the at, sort of like the CBC commentator for Toronto FC in their first season, mm-hmm. who may or may not have been like. I think I saw his name listed once on like a like a voice acting thing as like a British guy. 
<laughs> British Br- guy. British sounding guy. Oh, man. To growing to be like somebody who's at the very center of, 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 of not like, yeah. he's on the fringes sometimes and then all of a sudden CBC has to, you know, stuff to do and then it's like, now, lots of Nigel Reed. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't think that he did too bad. The one thing that I think that was really frustrating for a lot of people is um, the pronouns on Quinn. Yeah. Um, were pretty consistently gotten wrong yeah. and and not corrected at first. Mm-hmm. But I think it will be a little, a little bit frustrating to people that it was still wrong mm-hmm. the first time, every time. Yeah. And then and then corrected for some secret times. Yeah. But so that was a little bit frustrating, but you had you but the I, I did like Reed and, and Claire Rustad in general. Yeah. I Over the did course a, of it, a pretty good job of it. Rustad was great. Yeah. Reed then, after Kozovar Aslani misses the first uh, penalty, says, "Well, remember, Christine Sinclair missed her penalty in the last game, or in the last shootout, and Canada still won that. So watch out." And I was like, "Don't say it, Nigel." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't. Don't say it out loud. Can everybody just stop talking for the next fifteen minutes. That's not what I. That's not. I can't deal with that. Ashley Lawrence misses. The penalty going, uh, or I, I don't have it. This thing doesn't say whether it was saved. Um, it was, if I recall, it was save, save. Was it save, miss, save? No, because uh, Leon went over. I'm trying to remember. It, it's important to... Dig- Fully dif- don't remember. <laughs> it's important to differentiate between penalty misses and penalty saves. I can tell you the exact look in Julia Gross's eyes before she scored. I can't tell you anything that happened before that. Each keeper had two of each, I would say. So, so each- I feel like it was pretty evenly of, like, miss, save, score, like, that sort of equaled out. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, well, it wasn't for a while because um, Lawrence missed and... Jill missed wait, going right over. Right. Um, and that was a very much the... Um, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Canada is down. Now now Canada is down uh, 2-1. We're getting pretty late in the... Yeah. We're getting pretty late in the day here. Uh, Sweden misses again, but Canada misses again. It can't take advantage of it. It's still 2-1. Um, Caroline Sager goes over the bar. And then Deanne Rose as Canada, the vibes couldn't be worse. Yeah, you know when you looked when you watched Leon go up, it felt like oh no, oh no, we don't have it. We mm-hmm. we've it's it, it felt like it was slipping away. Yes, um, to hit another another after Leon missed and after or sorry after after it was Gillies who went high. It was Jill who went high, and Caroline Sager went high, mm-hmm. and then she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm built different. Rip to them, but I'm built different. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot high, and I'm gonna score this goal." And it happened. Yeah, that was and, definitely. I think everybody had this lump in their throats to be like, "That's that takes some stones to hit that shot after what's <laughs> just happened twice." But yeah, what a brilliant, brilliant taken penalty. Then. Uh, Labe, who had already who'd already saved against uh, Anna and Vigard, just coming up and again with a huge, just a huge save and a warrior cry like yeah. scream afterwards. 
um, in the first sort of extra penalty. She's doing a fair amount of talking to the penalty takers as well. I, I love, I love, that. It. love it. This was like, you know, honestly a huge... She's she's moved from from Sweden to Paris Saint Germain. Big, big, big up. Huge tournament for her because she um, she saved the she conceded a penalty, saved a penalty, and then left for injury in a five minute straight. Yeah, left on the injury that created that was created during the penalty that she saved in one of the group stage games. Yeah, which is just wild to me. She had an absolutely super strong tournament, including these two massive, massive saves. And you're right, just this this standing right next to you, talking to you about what's going to happen, jumping back and forth. That big smile and laugh on her face. It's a, you can always play a big game if you win, you know? It's you, clear she'd done her homework, <laughs> too, because uh, I, I feel like there was a, a good number of those PKs. She knew exactly where they were going to hit it. Mm-hmm. Like, n- there was a couple where I, clear she guessed right, but there was a couple that I was like, oh, you knew... You've been watching your tape. You knew, you knew exactly where this person wanted to put it. You can practice penalties. It's possible. Julia Grasso steps up, takes that historic penalty. So um, good. My partner, Sam, would join me in the living room and just like, did we do it? We did it. <laughs> we did it. I was jumping up and down at a good you know, 9 a.m. in the morning. It was just... just the thought process that I had in 2012 was my team is to win anything. You know, the Canucks. Yeah. Like, like this feeling of a major sports championship, the 2012 bronze medal was the first time like a team had br- delivered me yeah. hardware. Yeah. Yeah. In any way, really like, like, you know, I wasn't really following. I was 12 when, uh, I was 12 when Canada made won the gold cup. I was not really paying attention at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, since then, obviously, you know, a nominal team, a team that I would nominally think of as a, as a team that I like, the Raptors did win something, but it's like, sure. if you're a soccer fan and you're a Canadian soccer fan and you hear people, the number one way that people talk about Canadian women's national team is to say, oh, they're good. Too bad the men can't be better. Like this terror, which is just an annoying yeah. reaction that I have yeah. And this, this idea that Canada is like doomed to be bad at soccer or whatever. And even in, even in women's soccer, that Canada is under the, under the glass ceiling, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, still almost. It's, a, it's always a, a story of like almost, almost what could have been. Oh, if only this, if only that, this was, and I said it earlier, I had already written in my mind, the storyline of like a noble defeat in the, in the, in the, in the gold medal game. And, totally. And to see them, Execute their, like you say, execute the game plan and just got to, it out. To, yeah, to be a Canadian sports fan is always to be ready to lose. <laughs> and here it is, the the triumph, the win for Christine Sinclair, the win for the fans, the win for the players, the win for the former players. To see all of those storylines and all of that meaning coalesce mm-hmm. on one pitch. In 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 one moment of time, it was to see this this story this this journey that has seen the game grow and, and to see how many fans have have mm-hmm. jumped on since Christine Sinclair um, joined the team in 2002. How many teams since they won the Pan Am Games in 2011? Since they won um, 
bronze in 2012 and 2016. Like, it was this... It's this train that has only continued to gain the well, momentum. And the thing that kind of gives me goosebumps a bit is that, you know, the players who now make up the team, who are watching some of those pivotal games, mm. and you think about, there's a lot more people watching this pivotal game. <laughs> so, you know, the, the sort of, like, the the inspiration that happened in those moments for the next generation of players, you can only imagine again, that you're like, it, again, you get kind of, like, almost scared to think about, okay, all these young women are not even close to their prime yet, so they've got mm. a good ten years ahead of them, most of them, at, right. at the very least. Plus, all the younger players, all the other players coming through academies um, that are going to come up through this team and learn from them. Once you start establishing that proper pipeline and you get like a bit of you know, a soccer lineage going, mm. for the first time ever, really, I feel like Canada has an identity of... Uh, a certain type of soccer player that we can produce and and, and teams that can, mm. again, play above their levels. It's not just about the technical skill, but starting to get a lot of those fundamentals down and, and, and really starting to shape the game as well. Like, our, mm. the, not just in terms of our sport, but, like, the sport in general. The Canadian women's team has started to change what women's soccer looks like and how it's being played along with the US and Brazil and, and Germany and the UK mm-hmm. like we're but we're a part of that you know um, and that feels really good to know that there's a lot of young players and people who don't even know that they're players yet who watch that game who are gonna think yeah why not why not it's like the just the the impact on the the national psyche to know that we you know to head it for whatever reason, Canada has always, whenever you listen to Americans talk about the Olympics, they, they yeah. say, oh, well, or like, you know, it, American Wozo fans. Yeah. May, some of them have this, that, do we really need the Olympics when we should be focusing on the Women's World Cup? Well, for some reason, Canada has always been a w- World Cup, a Women's World Cup creates us problems, but the Olympics and the Gold Cup we do great at. Yeah. So I'm just like, no, stop. Let us, we'll, we'll keep it. Um, yeah. but, um, the, in that moment, it's just the, the, that you now head into the next world cup thinking like, well, we have to think that Canada can be a contender. In that. Yeah. We have to think that Canada can, can progress because they've shown the ability to, to get these results in a world cup has a couple more teams in it. You then have to get through a Germany. Sure. You didn't have to do. Um, but I think that that's a really exciting prospect for the future for fans. And, and hopefully we continue to get more professional, you know, this was a Christine Sinclair's thing, more, more professional opportunities to see these players in the future as well. Yeah. That's a huge part of it as well. The new Canadian player. It's like, it looks like, you know, like Ashley Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, like Quinn. I love that. I love it too. It's a, it's a good time. <laughs> um, until next time. Until next time. Where can we find you online? Well, you will have to find me online. That'll be that'll be sad for me because I've enjoyed so much sitting next to you even talking about soccer again. Um, you will you will find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Of course, you can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com. Uh, available on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do that. Episode 10. And until next time, 
don't get sent off. Nice. Yeah. Sorry about that.